Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares considers what it will be like when Christ returns. Whatever it is that you're, you're tempted to click on or to say or to do or the anger that you can't control, or the gossip that you just can't, you can't restrain. I, I want you to think about what you're gonna be saying or doing at the moment you see Christ for the first time face to face. I think there's nothing that's going to give us more pause than to recognize that Christ could come back at any point. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Jesus shared several parables to help us followers understand what would happen on that day. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares four things you need to know in order to be prepared for the second coming. It's the conclusion of a message called, He'll Be Back. And this message was delivered earlier this year at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 12 and the parable of the wedding feast as we join Pastor Mike for today's lesson. If you take your Bibles and turn your uh, text and attention to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, I'll just get the beginning of this parable. Stay dressed for action. Did you find that there? Luke chapter 12, verse 35. You ought to keep your lamps burning and you ought to be like men, verse 36, who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He says, truly, I say to you, bottom of verse 37, he will dress himself for service, which is quite a turn of events, and he will have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them, which is a strange image of the master coming back from a wedding feast, which, by the way, could take anywhere from two days in the ancient world, even in the intertestamental period. The book of Tobit, chapter 8, talks about a wedding feast that can last as long as 14 days. So the master goes away. This is, you know, wedding receptions without cell phones, and you don't know when the rich master is coming back to his house, and you'd better be ready for his return. He's got an entourage. He's got camels. He's got uh, feet to wash. There's animals to feed. There's places that need to be arranged so that you can bring the master in and serve him. And the strange thing in this passage is if you're ready and prepared for him to come, he's going to uh, gird himself to serve and serve the servants. Uh, which ought to get us excited to think through what the reality of the return of Christ is going to be for you and for me. Four things that the doctrine of the return of Christ should do for you, and I just want to real quickly put these in your minds. Let's just think this through. If you're thinking about the return of Christ, you're going to be prepared. I put it this way. It's going to question my preparation. The whole parable is about that. Are you ready for his return? And I think it is uh, important for us to ask not only our friends and coworkers that question, but it'd be good for us to ask pastors and leaders and religious leaders and religious broadcasters, hey, are you sure that you're ready? Are you really sure that you're sure that you're trusting in the right things? I mean, most people want their salvation the old fashioned way, right? They'd like to earn it. 
They'd like to have some say in it. They'd like to have something they contribute to it. And of course, the gospel is you don't contribute anything to your salvation except your own sin. And it's important for us to say, well, that's the gospel I believe in. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel where Jesus does everything and I trust in what he's done. And that no matter what my resume is, I exchange my righteousness for his righteousness. My sin goes on his cross. His righteous life is imputed to me. And that transaction takes place in an instant. If you knew that at 11 o'clock tonight, Christ is coming back, I, I think you'd want to make sure that you got the gospel straight. That you're not trusting in Christ plus your good works. That you really believe the gospel of grace that we haven't merged our own merits with Christ's finished work. You'd, you'd want to say, I, I know that I know that I'm going because uh, I put my trust fully in Christ. The next line here is you got to keep your lamps burning. That's the last thing I do before I leave my office every day. I turn the lights off in the office. going to go chill. It's my time now. This image, it's not a pleasant one, but uh, it's important. You got to keep your lamps burning. See, if you have the doctrine of the return of Christ clearly in your mind, you will not only question your own preparedness, which I hope leads to assurance that you know you're prepared, but secondly, it should sort out your priorities. And, and you ought to be able to say, well, I know what's important. What's important is that I've got to be ready to meet Christ, which, of course, this whole parable is about, I need to be doing what's of interest to him. I need to be expending my life on his priorities. I need to be proclaiming his message. And we avoid that so often because it's easier for me to say things like whispering in your ear when you're a little sleepy, but we're supposed to shine Christ on people. I'm not, I don't want to be necessarily and purposefully offensive, but I've got to tell people to repent. And repentance means you're going the wrong way. You need to embrace Christ. You need to turn from sin to God in repentance and put your trust in the finished work of Christ. And I'll tell you what, there's no one, I think, that is ever going to regret being busy about the work of calling people to repentance when Christ shows up. Because the only thing he's waiting for, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, is to finish the job of evangelism. Because people are going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Remember that passage in 2 Peter 3? Where's the promise? They're going to say, there's no way he's coming back because it's been so long. And Peter's response to that is, he's not slow in keeping his promises. He's patient, not willing for any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. I just want us to realize that's urgent at the top of his list, not only for you and I to be righteous people, but for us to be really urgent about seeing another person come to repentance. And I don't know what you're talking about in your ministries. I don't know what you're broadcasting, but if you don't recognize that at the top of Christ's list is to see another person come to real faith in Christ, turning from sin to trust in him, then, then we're somewhere down on the priority list of Christ. And I just want to be found with my lamp burning. And one of the things I'm shining and that you and I should be shining and I should be doing it with more urgency than I do it. And that is that today could be the last opportunity you have. As the old writers used to say, the door of mercy is going to shut. And I want to make sure that I'm jamming people through that threshold as much as I can with my words, my actions, to implore them, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, I appeal to you, as though God is making his appeal through us, be reconciled to Christ. If you know that Christ is returning and you sense it, it's at the top of your mind, it's not only going to be something that questions your preparedness, not only going to be something that sorts your priorities, but look at this third line here. 
in verse 36, it's going to do something in my own heart. It's going to uh, make me like I'm someone waiting for the master at any moment to knock on the door and to throw the door open and to welcome him and say, you're here, here. We've been waiting. It's going to, in a real sense, not only give the agenda priority of saying, I know I need to do God's stuff and I know I need to win people to Christ, but it's going to bring me that conviction that I don't want to be found shrinking back in shame when he comes. I mean, it's an old line, but do you really want to be found doing what you're doing when Christ returns? We've got to see the question of the doctrine of the return of Christ, the imminent return of Christ, be something that, that purifies our heart. I went to public school, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, whenever the teacher would leave the room, and I don't know why they did that so much, particularly in junior high, but I don't know if they know what really went on when they left the room. Chaos. Now, I, I realized that as I sat there thinking, I don't want to be in trouble. I, I've, I've got to fight everything within me to join in with what everyone else is doing because at any moment the teacher could come in. And particularly if I'm in the line of sight of that doorway, I'm just thinking, I, I don't want to get busted. I, I've got to be careful. I've got to make sure that my life stays pure. The doctrine of the return of Christ really should give you pause. Whatever, whatever temptation that's haunting your Christian life, Whatever it is that you're, you're tempted to click on or to say or to do or the anger that you can't control or the gossip that you just can't, you can't restrain, I, I want you to think about what you're going to be saying or doing at the moment you see Christ for the first time face to face. I think there's nothing that's going to give us more pause than to recognize that Christ could come back at any point. Back in our text, if you look down in verse 45, of Luke chapter 12, I mean, he just spells that out. If, if someone says to himself, the master is delayed in his coming, well, then he's going to be, he's going to start to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk. I just think it's interesting. He starts with relational problems. Remember that passage in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, if you know you got something against your brother, leave your offering and go be reconciled to your brother. If you're thinking that, that you're going to get a warm reception from Christ, if you're really harboring resentment or there's relational damage that you haven't fixed. I mean, I just think it's interesting that it starts with, if I don't think he's coming back at any moment, my relationships will, will be filled with hostility and angst and problem and conflict. I've gotta be careful that my relationships are where they need to be and that my moral laxity right, is tightened up because I know he could come back at any time. God is pro-sobriety in every way. And he wants you to be ready and dressed for action. And he doesn't want you to think that he's far off. He wants you to think he's at the door, which is how James puts it. The judge is standing at the door. Christ could come back at any time. And I just want to make sure that that doctrine purifies me. If I know I'm going to see him face to face, 1 John 3, I, I'm going to let that doctrine of the return of Christ purify my life. Verse 37 in this text it's interesting here the way that it's put, blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, because he's going to serve them. He's going to dress himself as the master, which is a, a, a weird turn of events, and, and he's going to make the servants recline at the table, and the master's going to serve them. But that first word in the sentence, and you've been in church long enough to know what the word blessed, which we don't usually use in everyday language, at least with non-Christians, but the concept of blessed, the idea of blessed, that's a super positive word. 
And I love what Alcorn did just with the idea of making sure we don't bifurcate joy from happiness. You do, you do understand, to use the word joy in the way that it's used contextually in Scripture, I mean, it is a happy disposition to be joyful. And of course, you should know that you're called to be happy. And in this particular passage, the great thing is if you really anticipate the return of Christ, and you say, I'm going to keep his priorities my priority. I'm going to make sure that I'm a genuine Christian. I'm going to be interested in his agenda and purifying my life in light of that doctrine. This text says, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a happy place for servants of Christ to be. I put it this way. The fact of knowing Christ is going to return, that's a doctrine that fuels my, my joyful anticipation of Christ's return. I mean, I know we talk about it as a joyful thing and, and all these first points are, are kind of thinking about, well, I got to make sure and, and circumspection and self-reflection and self-discipline. But when it comes to this passage, right, if I've got those things in order, I can, be a, I can be a joyful Christian. And don't you think we could use a few more joyful Christians? How about joyful ministry people, right? People that are involved in ministry that don't just take every opportunity to complain about how hard it is. A friend that used to say ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Um, and, and, and yet the reality is we can joyfully serve the imperfect, wrinkled, and, and blemished body of Christ if you and I really recognize that the moment he comes back, as it says in, the, in Revelation 22, his reward is with him. Blessed are the servants. I mean, if I'm really just giving myself to the agenda of Christ and the work of Christ and the self-discipline uh, of my Christian life, when he comes back, there's just nothing that's going to be more, more blessed, more joyful, more happy than that. I flew in from Orange County to come here to Orlando for this uh, convention, and uh, there's a lot of people that are very excited to come to uh, the happiest place on earth here in Orlando. I thought it was in Anaheim, but uh, it's happier here apparently because it's bigger. And here's what I found about all those kids that were on the flight with me. Not many of them were, very, that were happy um, because it's a long flight from Orange County to Orlando. And you know, you always gotta go through Atlanta. As a friend of mine from Orlando said, uh, even when you die, whether you go to heaven or hell, you gotta go through Atlanta. Um, <laughs> But the point is, that's not where, that was unnecessary. <laughs> the point is, I'm thinking to myself, here are these kids that were, they, they, were, they were awakened early in the morning. They were thrown in their car seat or the back seat of the van. They were taken to the airport. They had to wait in line. They had to sit there, go through TSA. They had to get on the plane. They get on, they're thinking, well, are we there yet? And they don't know that this is like an eternally long plane flight in their minds. And, 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 they were told when they were going to Disney World, it's going to be awesome. And they're thinking, you know, about three hours into the flight, this isn't very awesome. Um, here's what Paul used to say to strengthen Christians. He said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And, and it's going to be great. And we should be praying every day, your kingdom come. We should be expecting the return of Christ, right? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what we should want. But the problem is between here and there, it's going to be hard. And the thing that should change the perspective of children, and I saw a couple wise parents doing this, they would give them something that related to where they were going. I even saw some on the plane with their little, uh, you know, Disney uh, ears on. It's like the parents are saying, it's going to get good. Just wait till we get there. 
And then particularly you recognize if you're a kid and have any like understanding of how, you know, money works, you know, dad is going to get to the park and open up his wallet. And, and there, I mean, there's going to be something good at the end of this torturous flight, not to mention the checking into the hotel and getting unpacked and having to go to bed and your stomach hurts, all the things they go through, but it, it's going to happen. Here's my point. The Christian life is difficult. Ministry is even more difficult. It's hard, we get older, our bodies hurt. There's a million reasons to complain, but God would like us to be the blessed servants who are anticipating the master girding himself to serve us. And if you don't keep your mind fixed on the return of Christ, that the reward is coming, as it's put in scripture, the blessed hope of the Christian life is the appearing of our God and savior, Jesus Christ, right? That's the blessed, the happy hope. That's the thing we should be anticipating. And I can endure a lot if I know where I'm going, but I can't really endure it with joy unless I keep my focus on where I am going. It fuels my anticipation, but I gotta keep it in my mind. He's bringing us, according to Revelation chapter 21, a perfect home. If I said to you, it, when the Bible uses the analogy of a groom and a bride, which are we in the analogy? You'd probably say, well, we're the bride of Christ, right? You would say that? Well, in Revelation 21, the analogy is not that you're the bride. The analogy is that the city that he's building for you, that he brings to you, is the bride, and you're the groom. As a pastor, I get the best seat in the house at the weddings, right? And I get to see, you know, the couple I take through premarital, and she's standing there at the back of the aisle. I don't even recognize her, right? Like, she looks way better than she did in premarital counseling. <laughs> And, and of course, the guy next to me in the tux, he's tearing up. And it's just this tender moment, right? And, and here's his bride coming down the aisle. And I just, I did a wedding not long ago, this huge burly guy, he's just bodybuilder type, and he's just sobbing like a baby. Here comes his beautiful bride. Well, the text says that you need to know that you are the groom in the analogy in Revelation 21. And the city that he's bringing for you is the bride. And he's going to give us that amazing experience of saying, I did go to prepare a place for you and I'm coming again to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And I'm bringing you a city like a bride adorned for her husband. I mean, it's so good. It's better than any of the good we've ever experienced. And as it says in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, all of the terrible things in this world, this is the Mike Fabara's paraphrase, right? All the bad in this world is nothing to be compared to all the good that's coming. The bad is not bad enough to cancel out the good that's coming. The good is way better. And we ought to let that overpower our aches and pains. It ought to restrain our lips from complaining. We ought to do all things without grumbling and complaining. And the only way that I know to do that is to keep my hope fixed on where we're going when this plane lands. And it's good. And dad is going to open his wallet. And God's wallet is really big. And he's going to give you a perfect home, a great city. In that passage, he says there's no longer going to be any pain or any death, any dying, any disease, going to wipe the tears away from our eyes. And then the dwelling place of God is going to be among men. And then he's going to give people living water to drink. They won't be thirsty. I mean, all the images there are so great. The satisfaction of the coming of Christ is better than anything we could ever imagine. And if we're not constantly thinking about that, I mean, we, we're not gonna get through this life without being a, a crotchety old frustrated minister as we get more achy and, 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 and old and frustrated. We, we, where's the joy come from? It's gotta come from keeping our eyes fixed on the finish line.
There's been 15 centuries before Christ, people tucking in their robes and keeping their lamps lit. In the image of the Passover, they've been celebrating that for centuries. And the first person to do it, even before the commemoration of it was instituted, was Moses. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it lays out kind of how he worked through all of those things. He said he refused to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he'd left in his heart before he actually physically left. And he also recognized that he could stand with the reproaches of Christ, which is an anachronistic phrase. Christ had not yet come. But of course, if you stand with God, you stand with the triune God. And he was willing to stand with the triune God, knowing that he wasn't willing to participate in the passing pleasures of sin because he said, I'll, I'll be on God's side even if everyone is on the other side. I'm not going to conform. He said, the world's not my home. And I know this, that the, the riches and the reward of the reproach of Christ way better than anything Egypt has to offer. His heart was somewhere else. He left before he left. He knew that it was worth it. And then it says, and then by faith, he left Egypt. I just love that imagery, right? We're going to leave Egypt. You're going to leave this earth. You're going to leave it all behind. And I know that we could say, well, the statistics and the pattern, if you want to think like Second. Peter 3, you can think, well, I'm going to die. I better plan that. And sure, you ought to make some plans, I suppose. But here's the deal. The Bible says we're not all going to die. We'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. Christ is going to come back for his church, and it could be tonight. We need to get excited about that. Let's pray. God, help us in a world that's filled with distractions, in a body that's filled with pain and aging, God, we want the outer man, though it decays, we want the inner man to be renewed day by day. And the only way to do that is to keep our hope fixed on the blessed hope of the return of Christ. So give us that in a more palpable way, please. Let it fuel our holiness. Let it force us to resolve our, our, our conflicts and restrain our sin. And, and then God, just let it start to light the joy of our heart that we can cry out with the early church, come quickly, Lord Jesus. God, we're supposed to pray it every day, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way to do that is when the king arrives. So God, let us get back to the original Christian broadcasters who wore the sandwich boards and rang a bell that said, uh, uh, prepare to meet your maker, right? Jesus is coming. God, let us get back to that core message. May it change our hearts and our lives and even our ministries in Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Focal Point and the conclusion of a message titled, He'll Be Back. Pastor Mike shared this message and the four things you need to know about the return of Christ at an event called the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in sunny Orlando, Florida. But you can listen to this program from anywhere in the world when you go to focalpointradio.org. For 25 years, Focal Point has faithfully broadcast the unwavering truth of Scripture, regardless of the shifting sands of our rapidly changing culture or trendy church fads. And as this tumultuous year comes to a close, we're asking you, our listeners, to give generously to equip other believers to stand firm in faith. As you can imagine, ministry costs, like everything else, continually rise. And as we wrap up this year, we need your generous support now more than ever. In order to end this December on a solid financial footing, we are asking you, our listeners and ministry partners, to donate an additional $250,000 above and beyond our forecasted year-end goal. And with your help, we can reach this bold goal one donation at a time. 
To give, call us at 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And then we invite you to become a monthly Focal Point Partner. When you pledge a monthly gift, your dollar provides the much-needed financial stability to expand our reach in the coming new year. It's quick and easy to set up your monthly gift when you call 888-320-5885 or set it up online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, send your donation by mail and let us know that you want to become a monthly Focal Point Partner. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow for an energizing message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Powerful Praying. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.